Yeah, yeah, we should get to that because I think we're going to end up going over our our usual <laughs> duration, but that's okay. Um, so we kind of covered in um, the public episode a bit about the general strike that happened in India uh, where about 250 million people had gone on strike. Um, but I, I was like, I was thinking that we didn't quite get into some of the really important reasons why uh, the biggest general strike in history, according to Jacobin, I mean, Mm -hmm. that that was kind of their, the way that they phrased that because it is a huge number, but it was only a 24 hour uh, general strike. But I think that it's really kind of those details become important uh, when we actually look at the history of this strike, because it actually doesn't exist in a 24 hour format this it kind of dates back to um i guess technically earlier this year but really it uh culminated in um some farm protests in august so one of the things that the modi government had been doing uh was trying to basically redo farming laws and in india there's a lot of small farmers And they have this system where, at least in certain areas, um, where there's a a system called MSP or minimum support price, which is a way that farmers can sell their crops to the government for a predetermined price, which basically helps them from – not being if like if the if the market price is super super low they can instead sell to the government so that they don't go broke so that they don't like lose right. their entire livelihood these it's basically um, like a, a social democratic style farmers protection built into the system yeah and uh though these laws don't specifically um get rid of where these minimum support prices exist they uh specifically exclude them from um like ratification there's there's three different farm bills in india that the modi um government put in into action um and i i have little descriptions of them but i highlighted the the points that were kind of um important And the first bill was the Farmers Produce Trade and Commerce Act of 2020, uh, and it prohibits state governments from levying any market fee uh, or levying cess or levy on farmers, traders, or electronic trading platforms for trade of farmers' produce conducted in an outside trade area. Basically what this is is it it creates a a system – to um to drive um the the price of food down it's it's like an online trade system it's like the stock market of grains in india and great yeah and so that was one thing that uh and and it's basically just defended by these fascists and saying oh we're just creating additional ways for you to sell this is supposed to be good for the pharmacies you can work with these big corporations more but really what this does is this gives power to corporations to dictate what prices are and then by proxy the conditions of the working like farmers exactly yeah i mean there's always this narrative of like oh if you just figure out a way to play nice with these giant institutions we promise that we won't let them run all over you and it's like sometimes that's true for a couple of years but then once everybody's on board and there's nothing they can do about it they invariably just destroy the livelihoods of all the independent farmers or workers or whatever yeah um the second piece the second um 
bill is an act that uh, provides a legal framework for farmers to enter in prearranged contracts with buyers, including uh, like a mention of pricing. So basically, they're, um, these are like contracts that will um, kind of go outside of that um, minimum support pricing structure and then also defines a dispute resolution mechanism for these systems, which is basically like forced arbitration. Um, if you've ever been um, made sign like an arbitration clause at work, that means that if you want to sue the company, you have to do it on a, an individual basis. It kind of like gets rid of your ability to collectively um, bargain um, for your um, for when you've been wronged. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't I sign up for a state program that puts my livelihood in the hands of large corporations and forces me to go through that very same state that's friendly with that corporation if I have any problems with the corporation? What could possibly go wrong? Yeah. It's (laughs) like they took all the third parties out of it, and third parties are never there as any kind of arbiting force or, or mediator. They are always a middleman who's trying to scam you out of something. Like yeah. that's the that's the logic that goes into these kinds of decisions. And that's the kind of bullshit that they'll try and get you to believe in order to go along with these big business incentives. Right. And the third act that is um being protested by these farm protests, which they have this is I'll I'll go over the list of demands, but we're going over the the acts themselves because it is the first demand and it covers a bunch of things. Um, but they are basically removing stock holding limits on um, items um, except under extraordinary circumstances. Uh, the scare quotes on extraordinary circumstances was not explained in any of the pieces that I was able to read. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and then uh, basically what this is, is this is allowing big corporations to um, create like stockpiles and do price controlling. This is the way that right. um, like a corporate cartel forms, and that this is there's like a apparently a there there was a restriction on those sorts of things, um, probably to protect small farmers from being exploited by large corporations. But this particular act has done away with a lot of those stock limitations. Right. So well, I mean, like your fascist governments, like the Modi administration, they love stuff like this, right? They love it when they can allow. Uh, a corporation to vertically integrate and hoard all the resources and then price fix them and then gouge consumers and destroy the lives of farmers. They love that because it puts more money in one place and then that money can be manipulated as a political tool more efficiently, no matter how yeah. many lives it destroys. Yeah. Yeah. It's in, in all of these things, especially when combined together, basically, uh, scream like they're, uh, a handout to corporate, like the corporate farm structure. Um, mm-hmm. and you had mentioned when I was kind of explain explaining some of this earlier that this is similar to like a form of industrialization and that it looks like they're kind of trying to do some sort of industrialization of the farm labor right. because of the, how much rural farming is done in India. Uh, but this is specifically done to undermine any sort of socialist way of doing in, in industry. Exactly. Yeah. It's my understanding that India is one of the last places that still has a very agricultural economy where most of the agriculture is still done in a more traditional way, either by hand or with hand tools, or, you know, at least not with giant industrial irrigators and tractors and such. Uh, And so I think in the process of becoming a more 
I don't know if this is a condescending way to say it, but like what your liberal economists would call a developed nation or a first world nation, whatever. Um, they're kind of encountering the problem of like, okay, so as we industrialize and as we mechanize and automate more of our processes, that efficiency has to go somewhere. And we can either follow most of the Western world and their client states and a, a big chunk of the rest of the world in making sure that that productivity and that efficiency only goes into the hands of the already rich, or we can face the possibility that the people of India might have a revolution uh, similar to the ones that happened in China and Russia during their eras of industrial development, and that would be disastrous for the ruling class. Yeah. So there's always going to be this effort on doubling down on large institutions and hierarchical forms of control because it allows them to keep the the society under control and, yeah. and perpetuate a society of control. Yeah, absolutely. 